boys, we're back again. Hey, <laughs> we're talking about this band. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of them, but they're called Death. Yeah, Death. I mean, I think oh. we're going on to part, check them out. <laughs> this is part ninety-seven of the the Death uh, episode episodic review. Yeah. So here we go. What are we, we doing? We originally had like what three episodes? Three, what yeah. are we up to? <laughs> Is five, it five or six? Yeah, five, I think five. <laughs> I think that's five. awesome. Blame Jason. <laughs> we well, kept getting more stuff, yeah. man. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, like I said in the last episode, the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. No. But unfortunately, I guess this is the last one, isn't it? I, I think. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to make a promise, you guys. This is the last one. I'm not, I'm not going to drag you guys back for any more. <laughs> Anything else. I've got all the interviews I'm going to get. Uh, this is it. But well, should we break it down for him? Yeah, we had what to do, we do one more because we, we're on the final album, The Sound of Perseverance. You guys, if you listen, you know we, uh, we, you know our history with Requiem Metal Podcast. We're connected since high school, and so we've got Jason, who's one of the hosts on Requiem Metal Podcast. He's going to be here to talk about some of his experience with death, and especially the Sound of Perseverance and some of symbolic goes into the lyrics, and it's it's good. It's beautiful stuff, poetic probably explained it way better than what we're going to do. So at the end, we're going to have that. Um, and right before that, after we finish what we're talking about, we'll have, we got an old interview with Richard Christie. We did it like four years ago or something like that. So don't judge me on the quality. I don't know, you know, I don't know how it was that then, but I'm, I'm sure he had some good stuff for us. So a little bit of extra context. So us, Richard Christie, and then uh, Jason from Requiem. Nice. We love you, Jason. The one from Requiem, not the one that we unfortunately <laughs> have to do this podcast with all the time. Yeah. You did a good job, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll see myself out. <laughs> well, let's get into it, boys. Let's move on to the last one. Final album? So, yeah. We talked about this yeah. one before. I think we, we officially reviewed it. Yes, we have. Way early on, though. Yeah. Early on, yeah. Way so, at that time, I did not know anything besides think, Scream, Bloody Glore, and Leprosy. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> you know. released in 98. And mm-hmm. this was my yeah, first album into... Death. Um, death, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Back when we did that interview or the review. Yeah. That throwback review. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I mean, I was familiar with the last three. I remember I was like kind of rotating them, but this was the one that really got me into death. So, I mean, it holds a really special place in my heart. Like it's mm-hmm. the nostalgic of it, you know, I mean, or the nostalgia of it, it's it's strong. And I think for that reason, um, I had it ranked as three. I mean, it's funny because like I might listen to it less maybe than even like individual or Scream Bloody Gore. But yep. like when I put it on, it's so stuck in my brain. Like it's so mm-hmm. fucking there. Like it, it's it's an important one for me. So I don't know, man. I, um, it's 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 high up there still. I mean, I'm honestly right there with you, man. I feel like I legitimately know every note to every god, you know, to every song on this album. Yeah. So I honestly didn't listen to it a lot during the prep for this el- uh, this I episode. Yeah. Because it's, it's like you said, it's literally ingrained in me. I I could probably hum most of the solos, <laughs> the songs. I mean, it's just. But and again, for that reason, it was number four on my list. I okay. couldn't. I mean, yeah, I couldn't put it higher than, you know, some of the other albums that. I liked more, but for that reason, it being, you know, my intro into death, it, it was going to sit higher than some of the older stuff. But I mean, I guess, Stan, what did it rank for you? Number four as well. Yeah, right. Okay, Smack okay, dab okay. in the middle. We're all yep, pretty close yep. then on that. Yeah, yeah. Three for me, four for you guys. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, even besides the nostalgia though, I mean, you know, I think the reason I also like it more than I do symbolic is it still is super uh, melodic, but. I feel like the the metal, like the heavy metal part is like amped up on this one. Like they mm-hmm. traded a little bit of the delicate, like more like somber stuff for like big, big riffs, big, more like fist pumping stuff, even though it's still super, uh, what's the word? Soulful. I don't know. Intim- yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, it's I mean, very from the heart, I guess. But yeah. there's a lot of big riffs, man. Big riffs. Mm-hmm. Like Spirit Crusher, come on, dude. Yeah, I know. What a fucking song. The chorus riff and the fucking Spirit Crusher lyrics and vocal pattern. Like, talk about a vocal hook. Come on.
one thing I, I go back to these songs every once in a while. This is like a, not an album I go back to a lot. But every once in a while, I'll put on like Spirit Crusher. I'll put on a Moment of Clarity or yeah. Dude, you I know, go back to the Paint, like Flash in the Power. Come on, yeah. It, <laughs> so no, many like no, big story to tell. What's wrong with you boys? Yes, everyone. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I know. I mean, I agree. I mean, I honestly came back to this album so much. I mean, it's oh, I do too. But like y- more often than not, I just put on these songs because for those big moments. And yeah, like, yeah. You know, I, yeah. I will say though, after listening to the whole discography, it. A is the more dense album to listen to from start to finish. Mm-hmm. It, it does feel like more of a time investment where some of the other ones seem like they do fly by. And I definitely do, you know, now after listening to the entire discography, see the transition. I guess it's the reason why, I mean, it was for for the nostalgia, but I mean, it, it could have been a little bit lower okay. on my list just because, will, you know, I mean, there's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it really is starting to, I guess, I haven't listened to any of the Control Denied stuff. I mean, I've heard all the rumors. I mean, it was some of these songs, you know, where they originally Control Denied songs and got deathized, you know, to fit on this album to comply with the record label's wishes. I mean, I don't know. and Nobody knows. It's all hearsay. But you can definitely hear that there's some sort of, I don't know, I, I want to say confliction in, you know, Chuck's writing and his ability to create this type of music still so i will say about this it's a it's number four right now but i can see this falling down the ladder mm-hmm. after i go back to like symbolic and individual in maybe even spiritual heal i don't know those will be two at the bottom i think always mm-hmm. but i could see this one falling down i do love this album but like yeah going back to it now and like actually seeing everything in context like i don't know if i love it as much as i did it's yeah. more nostalgia. I get that. I, it's hard yeah. for me to, to like discern that, like to s- separate that out, you know. But mm-hmm. I do know for a fact, for sure, I do like it more than symbolic, regardless of of nostalgia, because I just, like I said, they they brought back a little bit more of that, like fuck yeah, big riff, like mm-hmm. symbolic, definitely has a has more of the melody, and it's just it's a whole different thing, and I just think you know. It's definitely the weirdest death album there is, but mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's dense. It's 56 minutes long. It's it's long. Long song, so I get that, but I don't know. I just, I like the vibe of it, and then when you throw in uh, fucking Richard Christie's drumming, like, I mean, the fucking oh, cymbal work fucking and amaz- shit, like, a, what's he it's doing? It's amazing, dude. It's fucked. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can you're listen exactly all day. Right. The cymbal, yeah, the cymbal work is... I mean, I try to pull a bunch of the shit that I've heard from this album into the way that I play because of how good the cymbal work is. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know that you could hit a cymbal and make it sound <laughs> like that or hit multiple cymbals and make them sound like that. But yeah, it's... Thank you for bringing that up, Jay, because that is an amazing point about this album.
he's just he's an animal on it like it's funny we talk about death i don't usually talk about drumming that much but it's one band where like when you have these last three drummers that are just top of the line drummers like it's you know you hear it it's fucked up mm-hmm. and it adds so much to it and each one is different but they each one like brings their own thing to it you know and I mean, the only thing I can say is without being a drummer, knowing what to say about it, it's like the fucking cymbals. Like, I've just never heard anything like it before or since. And it's it's like his own thing, you know. And he, I mean, he plays on Control Denied. I know you guys didn't listen to that. I listened to about three. I've listened to in the past, didn't like it. Listened to it recently when we were doing when we were doing this. I listened to about three quarters of it. And I actually liked it quite a bit. So I'm yeah, going to listen about th- three songs today. I just didn't have time to get to the whole thing. But I was actually digging it, too. Were you? Yeah. You were okay oh, with yeah. the vocals and everything? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I I just did a maiden run. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised because in the past I was like, ah, nope. This time I was like, okay. I kind of. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna listen to it. Yeah. I don't. I don't know, man. I don't. If see you like it, if you like it, sound of perseverance. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Progressive. You got way more progressive with these songs. Fucking longer. They go weird places with it. I mean, it gets more meandering. You got like fucking uh what was it flesh and the power it goes into like that proggy solo it gets weird yep. it's different i could see why it's like a love or hate thing but uh it's it's in my heart <laughs> voice of the soul the instrumental and i feel like the the solo on story to tell probably why it might be one of the, like the greater solos yeah but you know little two and a half in i don't know if it's two of them or if it's just chuck but he just destroys the neck of the guitar yeah. i mean <laughs> It's on fire when he gets done, and it's just beautiful. It's a singing solo, mm-hmm. and then it breaks off into a little bit slower shit. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you, boys. I mean, it's a beautiful album. It's just it's starting to sound a little weird uh, when yeah. you listen to the whole thing. So, I get, it. I agree, I do agree with that. Yeah, I, I will yeah. say one last thing is that like it's kind of fucked up that like the fact that these some of these songs were for Control Denied, and like Chuck probably just wanted to be doing that, but yet he still puts mm-hmm. this out. And it's still a top tier album. Like the fact that he still was able to do that is kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it should have been a throwaway album, but somehow it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, honestly, boys, I mean, we listened to probably one of the greatest discographies in metal. I mean, I don't, I mean, it ranks up there. I mean, I don't know about you boys and I don't really give a fuck, but it's a top tenor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for sure. I got a question for you guys. This might be a hard one, but so obviously if, tragedy didn't happen what do you think this band you think they would have been back at some point do you think I, they were no no i don't think so i don't know i know because everybody's always like i wish we had chuck because who knows what death would have done what but would it's it, like i don't think he was moving away for so long i don't know yeah unless yeah. people just hated control denied i don't i think he would have just kept doing that stuff he would have did Doing he his was, own thing. Dude, he would have done whatever he wanted and he would have just found the musicians to do the shit that he wanted to do too. I mean, that's what yeah. he did from the start. I mean, after and it would have worked. The, yeah, and it would have worked. I mean, after the Euro tour shit and, you know, the partying with those people, what did he do? He surrounded himself with studio mus- musicians who could do what he wanted to do and who believed in his vision. And that's all he would have kept doing. So mm-hmm. actually I don't crazy. think that, yeah. It's crazy to look back and like they only had seven albums, but every single one of them was that solid i mean you can't say that about every band or any band that like every single album was solid yeah i I mean has any band ever progressed as well either and still been legit i don't um no i don't don't think so no (laughs) like going such a short period of time to that yeah like think of other bands they changed their sound you got like opeth you know like we wrote them off for the most part you know 
a lot of bands stay within their sound pretty, you know, good, or they just totally progress out and you're just kind of like, fuck that band. But whereas mm-hmm. with that, like, you know, you can easily be a fan of all of them. Some people aren't, but I don't know. I'm sure there are other bands. I'm not thinking of them right now, but like they're definitely up there for one of the best that's like, you know, changed, but still been quality mm-hmm. in my eyes. Yeah. When are we getting our tattoos, boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say watching that DVD earlier in the end of it, though, when they talked about him getting sick, like I was legitly sitting on my couch crying like <laughs> it's just so sad to like think about it like I something know. that means so much to everyone yeah like all us metalheads and just like how it ended it's just it's so yep. up. so yep. young like our age yeah you know and it was so quick yeah it's fucked up man but thank you for everything you've done yeah dude. yes sir yeah we Thank would not be sitting here talking to all you guys right now if it wasn't for you. How many bands wouldn't, you know? He influenced fucking yeah. old school death metal, technical death metal, and fucking everything else. I mean, yep, yeah, it's everything crazy. in between. Yeah. So it was fun. That was a lot of fun. Yes, mm-hmm. it was. It's one of those ones, if you ever guys ever want to revisit this, <laughs> you want to re rank them again? Let's do it. De- death, death in five years. I can't say that about a lot of things that we do, but <laughs> this one, yeah, I'm always down. Co- I said it about Cannibal Corpse and you guys laughed. I'm not doing those 14 <laughs> again, man. Not, yeah, yeah. Right now. <laughs> it's a gauntlet. But this one you jump on. Hell yeah. yeah, yeah hell yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's so much easier. Um, all right. Well, then uh, final interview will be um, a quick one. It just, like I said, we back when we talked about Sound of Perseverance, we had talked to Richard Christie um, about a lot of stuff, but I just took the stuff we did about death and uh, we'll have that. Well, hope you guys enjoyed this. Yeah. Let us know what your guys' favorites were, because I think everybody has a different rank. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'm staying the man. I'm Evil J. I'm Shadi. Stay metal. Yeah, I'm a, I love talking about The Sound of Perseverance. I'm so, so proud of that album. And, uh, you know, it's so cool. Relapse, I'm sure you've seen. Did you see the trailer where they 
show all the new versions of the vinyl uh, album that they're putting out for that. Yeah, it looks sick, man. It's insane looking. I'm like, oh my god, I need to order that. You know, <laughs> I played on the album, but I want all those versions because it looks freaking awesome. Yeah, Relapse, they seem like they've done quite a bit, you know, with all the death, death material, you know, over the years, which is cool. Oh, they've been doing an amazing job with the death uh, material, and they're working with Chuck's family, too, which is great. So they're doing doing an awesome job, and I, I'm, you know, I'm real happy that, that they're putting, uh, keep putting Chuck's music out there for the fans. It's awesome. Right, yeah, they're doing it the right way. So, yeah, it was kind of funny, because... Um, there's three hosts on the show and two of us were are very familiar with death love love the whole discography and then our other guy you know he really hadn't heard anything before and so it was really cool for him to hear it for the first time in this you know year 2016 and to him it sounded extremely still fresh and relevant how does it sound for you kind of listen back to it today whenever you you throw it on uh well yeah definitely fresh and relevant and uh you know it sounds so live to me because and we pretty much did record it live. We recorded on two inch tape and, you know, back then there wasn't as much, you know, kind of digital recording. And I'm just, I'm so lucky to have been able to experience what it's like to record on the two inch tape because that's how it was done for so many years up until uh, like 15 years ago or so. And I think there's just such a warmth and, and such a natural live sound to that album because of that and it really sounds like you're sitting in our rehearsal room listening to us play and, and that's why i think it holds up so well and and i love that you know that was a time too where albums you you could have a little bit of a budget where you could take a little bit more time and record on tape and and kind of you know make sure everything was right you know we still had to rehearse and, and just be really prepared in the studio but the same time we had a little more time to kind of experiment in the studio too which is how the painkiller cover came about that i what i remember that was kind of a last minute thing and i remember i played the drums along to the actual song the judas priest song on cd uh, because we hadn't really rehearsed it and and it was kind of a tough thing to do to play along to the cd and and to do it all the way through you know we, we couldn't really punch in or anything because we were recording on tape so we we were allowed a little bit more time to do fun stuff like that back then. Right, right. So I mean, you, so you guys were you, you recorded that with Jim Morris. I know it's the production. It, it kind of gives credit to Chuck and Jim. How did that kind of work out in the studio? Um, you know, they worked together on Symbolic, and the and the production on Symbolic is just incredible. And uh, they just they were both there for every second of the recording, and uh, you know they were both really easygoing guys and open to each other's ideas. So I think they kind of just work together. And if one had a suggestion, they were usually always open to it. So, you know, they, they were just such good friends and had similar senses of humor and, and just were worked so well together that, you know, they, I think they decided they just kind of both were producers on that. So you said you you guys kind of had some time in the studio to to write and take your time with things. Was a lot of the writing done in the studio, or did you? How did the what was the writing process like? Like when did it start and and kind of walk? No, the all the writing was yeah. I mean, all the only thing that we kind of took a little bit more time with the, that we hadn't already had ready was the painkiller song. Everything else was very very well rehearsed in the studio because a, a lot of us. Songs. I mean, I had joined the band 
almost a year before we recorded that. So we had been rehearsing those songs for, you know, I don't know, nine months to a year before we recorded. So we were really well rehearsed and that's why it sounds so live and so, so good on the album because we just, we went in and knew exactly what we were going to do. And, uh, and everything went real smooth. I think I did the drums in just a couple of days. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, the only thing that didn't have a real and just down pat was the, the painkiller song, but, uh, everything else. Yeah. We were told we had already demoed everything as well, uh, uh in Chuck's home studio. And, and so we kind of knew, you know, exactly what we were looking for, but, uh, you know, we had a little bit more time to get really good tones and things like that. Like, we spent a little bit of time getting a, a really good drum sound. And, you know, that's where the, the little extra time in the studio came in handy is just taking, taking the time to make sure everything sounds great so that once we put it on tape, that's pretty much, you know, what it's going to sound like on the album. Yeah. You, you know, know. I mean, it, it was still mixed and everything, but we, we made sure we had really good tones going into it. Uh, you know, we were t- we were talking a lot in the episode just about the drumming, and I mean, it, it's every Death album. The drumming is is amazing. There's just something about the sound of perseverance and the drumming that you did on it. It just adds it this whole different flavor to it. And I'm not a drummer, so it's it's always weird for me that I pay such attention to it. But I think it's because to me, it's it's very different than a lot of what was going on in death metal from you know other bands or other drummers. So what were you aiming for? when you were writing this album? Um, I mean, mostly for me, I just wanted to do justice to the other amazing drummers that had played in death before me. You know, I mean, Sean Reiner is a, one of the biggest influences on me as a drummer ever. And same with Gene Hoagland. You know, I've been a fan of Gene since Dark Angel, and I've been a fan of Sean Reiner since Cynic. I heard the Cynic demos uh, before, he, before he joined death, and I was a huge fan of his. So... I just wanted to do something that carried on that tradition of really good drumming on, you know, on death albums. And I wanted to do something that would, uh, you know, kind of just continue that, the fact that Chuck had really good drummers and, you know, but also put my own sound in there as well. You know, there's a lot of, uh, so many different kinds of drummers that I love and, I would say the biggest thing for me as far as besides being influenced by other metal drummers like Sean Reinhardt and Gene Hoagland, I grew up uh, being in the school band and being in the marching band. And, and I learned a lot of what I do, I learned from playing in the marching band and actually doing playing snare drum solos, like uh, rudimentary kind of, there's a book I had when I was a kid called the National Association of Rudimental Drumming. And it was a book of snare drum solos. And I remember I got that when I was in fifth grade and I, uh, to this day, I still practice to that book and I would take these snare drum patterns and kind of transcribe them to a drum kit to make weird beats. And so a lot of my drum sound just comes from my marching band background. What's that? We're fellow band geeks too. We're all uh, percussion and, and marching band and all that. So we can relate a little bit. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean that, you know, that was the thing, um, when I turned 18, I was going to go to college. I had a drumming a music scholarship for drumming. And that was the thing I lo- was looking most forward to was playing uh, like at the football games and playing in the marching band and drum corps. 
but I ended up joining a death metal band called Public Assassin the night before I was supposed to start college. So my path <laughs> kind of changed a little bit, but you know, in a way I still, I, I would have loved to continue that uh, on that path as well, doing a uh, marching band because I freaking love it. Right on, right. So, you know, when you joined, you know, you said you joined Death, you were in Death for about a year before you guys started writing the album or you recorded the album. You know, when you started hearing what was going to be on the album, since you said you were a fan beforehand, I'm sure it sounded a little bit different to you. Were you a little bit surprised at all, just kind of the direction the album was taking and Chuck was kind of going for? Um, No, not really. I mean, honestly, to me, it, it didn't sound drastically different from, you know, each album Chuck has done has been a progression. So I wasn't surprised that, you know, he was still progressing and, and you know, every, uh, that's what was awesome about Chuck is every death album sounds so much different, you know, like spiritual healing to human. That's a, a crazy uh, different sound that he has on human. And then, mm-hmm. you know, each album, he kind of grew a little bit and, and, uh, and changed, which was awesome. He ne- kind of never repeated himself. And uh, so it was cool to hear that progression uh, with Sound of Perseverance, but at the same time, you know, it, Chuck had his sound, and, and you could tell it was a Chuck riff when he would play it, and it sounded amazing. So I was just, you know, it was just so amazing as a fan to be able to watch him write riffs and, and to be presented with riffs where he was crazy on the drums right here, you know? He was so cool and so open to me just going nuts, and, you know, at the time I was like 23 years old, so... I was ready to just go crazy on the drums because all I was doing at the time was practicing drums all day, every day, uh, living in a storage unit. That was pretty much my life. I had a day job, but when I wasn't at my day job as an electrician, I was just playing drums. So I was up for the task of uh, coming up with some crazy drumming stuff when Chuck would ask for it. I remember Spirit Crusher, that that crazy, there's a crazy drum and bass part. And uh, Chuck said, just do something weird right here. You know, and I was like, okay, here we go. And then sure enough, we came up with something. Uh, it's one of the hardest things to play. I remember when we play it live, I was terrified I would drop a drumstick because there's no way to recover <laughs> from uh, <laughs> dropping a drumstick during that part because there's so much going on. But luckily, I uh, always was able to hold it together. So you were living in a in like a regular storage unit while you guys were recording? Uh, yeah, yeah, in a metal uh, storage unit, yeah, in uh, wow. Winter Park, Florida, right outside Orlando, yeah, yeah. That's wild, man. How long were you in that for? Uh, eight years I lived in a storage unit in Orlando. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, but the thing, for me at the time, I was young, it was cheap to live there, it was like 150 bucks a month, and I couldn't see paying several hundred bucks a month in rent just to go somewhere to sleep where I could be with my drums and, and sleep and wake up and practice. So, you know, it was kind of a practical thing for me to just live right there where I practice. Right, right. So, you know, when you guys were around that time period, was there any albums you guys were really listening to hard around that time, like you or Chuck or any of the guys that were kind of just being played a lot? Um, Definitely. I remember, you know, there was an album that I freaking loved when it came out, and then for some reason... It's one of those, you know, once in a while you'll kind of rediscover an album and you'll be like, why did I ever stop listening to this? And then one day Chuck was cranking it up in his car and it was uh, Halloween Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2. And I was like, man, I I forgot how amazing of an album that is because I had it on cassette when it came out. And then uh, Chuck kind of reintroduced me to it. So we listened to a lot of Halloween Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2. 
a lot of Watchtower Control and Resistance. Chuck and I both love that that album. And uh, Chuck was a huge Watchtower fan. He even flew to Texas to see him when they got back together in like the year 2000. And uh, we're listening to a lot of, uh, you know, what was new at the time was Children of Bodom had him out, an album out that I remember Chuck and I listened to a lot. Uh, I think it was their first album up from 97. And then uh, Hammerfall came around, came out right around that time. And I remember Chuck and I listened to a lot of Hammerfall and a lot of Gamma Ray, too. So, yeah, just uh, there was so much cool music coming out at the time. And uh, and Chuck and I were always open. And, you know, Shannon and Scott as well. But Shannon and Scott lived kind of over on the coast. So Chuck and I would hang out even when we wouldn't, weren't practicing. We'd still hang out together because I lived near Chuck in Orlando. So... Uh, we would just get together and listen to vinyl and listen to metal there. I remember there's a band called Sortilage from France that I think to this day, nobody besides Chuck I've ever heard really kind of talk about them. And I thought it was so cool that Chuck knew this crazy rare band that nobody had heard of. And <laughs> once in a while, I'll mention that band to somebody and they, they can't believe I know who it is. And it's all thanks to Chuck. Oh, and uh, Riot. We listened to a lot of Riot. Riot put out an album called Anishmore in uh, like 97, 98. And I remember Chuck and I listened to that album nonstop. And I actually even listen to that album today. I still freaking love that album. What's up, fellas? This is Jason Hundy, your former teacher and also the host, co-host of Requiem Metal Podcast. 
And I just want to, you know, you guys have recorded things for me in the past and for our podcasts and such. And uh, most recently, our boat thrower episodes. And so I wanted to uh, return the favor a little bit and share some thoughts on Chuck and some of the things that mean a lot to me about death and some of the perspectives that I kind of have on them. Um, I love the first three parts uh, that you guys have sort of already put together. I'm looking forward to sort of more. Um, my best compliment to you guys, I can say, is that, you know, in the back of my head, much like uh, Bolt Thrower and Edge of Sanity, uh, two episodes that we did, you know, almost a decade ago that we've recently revisited, I also thought maybe we should revisit, you know, and, and do a more academic, um, you know, breakdown of, of death than what we did in our early episodes. And now I feel like it's, it's not really necessary because that's what you folks have done with your uh, awesome interview clips and all the... Uh, amount of enthusiasm that you've sort of put on. So I wanted to talk about something a little bit, uh, you know, from more a personal angle and something that I think came up a little in the, uh, I think it was part three or maybe it was part two. Um, it, it was kind of brought up by Terry Butler a little bit, but but I'll, I'll kind of tell my story with, with Chuck and with death. Um, when I first started getting into metal journalism in college, I was already working at the record store. Um, I got, you know, one of my best friends was working there as well, Chris Dick of, of Decibel Magazine. And he and Mark, my current uh, you know, co-host, also of Decibel, Mark Rudolph, they had done a magazine uh, called Requiem Metal Pod, uh, Requiem, <laughs> which is where Requiem Metal Podcast came from. It was a big inspiration to my group of friends uh, who uh, hailed from Mount Pleasant, as did Chris and Mark, uh, much in the same way that I think, you know, the bag of metal and, and some of the things that I gave you folks, uh, you, Shadi, and Stan, when you guys were in high school, had kind of similar effects. Um, I was lucky enough that when Chris was going to, you know, start a spiritual sequel to Requiem magazine called Eclipse, that he tapped me on the shoulder and asked if I wanted to be a writer, and uh, we were off to the races. And the first two issues, um, I actually reviewed Sound of Perseverance and issue number two of Eclipse, and then issue number three rolled around, and we had just seen Death uh, for me the first time uh, on the at Milwaukee Metal Fest in the summer of 1998. And I was blown away, mesmerized. It made me go back and revisit the the earlier albums, I think even more and really absorb them, seeing you know them perform stuff like The Philosopher made me appreciate Individual and um, certainly Pull the Plug Live as, as an experience as a zombie ritual and really, you know, start to appreciate those, those other uh, earlier records that maybe um, I had escaped me a bit because I wasn't yet really pursuing a lot of maybe brutal death metal. I was, um, because of the time that I got into it, it was right when, you know, a lot of the melodic Gothenburg stuff was, was sort of, you know, cresting in 1995. And I had to kind of, I had to force my way to go backwards to some of that early brutal stuff, um, that I probably, you know, looked past at the, the first time. And he tasked me with the assignment for the next Eclipse issue uh, to interview Chuck. Uh, and I got a press pass. They were playing at the IROC uh, down in Detroit with Hammerfall opening, right as Hammerfall was uh, undertaking their first record. And I got up uh, you know, on Chuck's tour bus and sat down and did a face-to-face, um, which was pretty mesmerizing, you know, my very first interview. And, um, you know, 
it was a, a yeah, probably a in hindsight not a great interview. I'm sure I did the best I could, but it but it really touched me and really made me kind of get into that band and their performance that night was was incredible. Fast forward, you know, a couple of years later, and um, you know, I was uh, studying abroad in Italy in the beginning of 2000, right uh, right after Chuck's diagnosis with brain cancer, and I would walk around kind of you know you know because didn't have any transportation. So I walked everywhere for six months, essentially, and had my my headphones. And I, of course, brought only a, a one booklet of CDs. So I had 100 CDs for six months. And that was it, you know, pre-streaming service. And of course, I brought uh, two or three uh, death CDs out of that 100. And in particular, symbolic and sound. And uh, those were the two that I, I remember. I think I probably brought leprosy as well or human, uh, probably human if I'm m- memory um you know, mistakes me. And, um, you know, I would kind of walk around this, you know, absorbing the odd, beautiful relocation of, of my new environment, you know, and just kind of pondering and reflecting and things. And one of the things that I started to really hone in on as the, the brain cancer diagnosis kind of was there. And I, I, I'll be honest, I think I thought, you know, he was young and he was a warrior and that, that it would be something that he would beat. But I still thought, Wow, there's a lot of lyrics, especially on symbolic and sound of perseverance that that almost seem to kind of understand and predict the precarious situation and the difficult mountain that he kind of was faced with uh, for survival. Um, and suddenly his words about reflecting on life and struggle and embracing those around oneself seemed almost prophetic, prophetic and haunting. Uh, and they still do, you know, um, especially after his loss. And, you know, death, not unlike, you know, Bolt Thrower, which we just did, has essentially a near perfect discography. You know, I mean, for me, their worst is spiritual and it's still kind of a masterpiece in some ways and has some masterful songs. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, Chuck has taken on kind of that that Hendrix Cobain like role in extreme metal since all we really got from him was brilliance and a lot of, you know, what ifs, what would happen next with Control Denied and, and things like that. And I think the key that you all emphasized, uh, you know, about Chuck, and even I think Terry, Terry Butler mentioned it, is that first and foremost, Chuck, above all else, is a great songwriter, regardless of genre. And that's why, you know, no matter how great Alters of Madness and Cause of Death and Mental Funeral and some of those early, you know, uh, iconic death metal records are, um, for me, Death will always be the best band from America in terms of American death metal. Why? Because they had the songs. And I think Chuck's lyricism is super underrated, you know? Um, I mean, it's for me, it's what stands apart from all those other bands that that may outclass death in some ways in terms of atmosphere, or speed, or chaos, or catchiness. But death had the songs more than any other band from that scene. And so I think that's the thing I wanted to kind of hone in on a little bit. And I wanted to share because this is the kind of thing we would do on Requiem Metal Podcast, uh, share a couple of the lyrics that I think, you know, grabbed me and spoke to me then, you know, and, you know, on Perennial Quest, the final song on Symbolic, you know, he um, he says stuff like, uh, and these are all written by Chuck too, you know, from rivers of sorrow to oceans deep with hope, I have traveled them, now there is no turning back, the limit, the sky, I ask my questions, why, what today, when tomorrow? filtering out the bad that holds us back take hold of what is true to your hunger a hunger that will not go away plans for tomorrow they will remain won't you join me on the perennial quest reaching into the dark uh, retrieving light 
search for answers on the perennial quest where dreams are followed and time is a test. Another lyric that kind of always stood out to me as kind of prophetic and introspective, uh, much more than than you know most death metal certainly uh, in America was was doing was in Sacred Serenity, also of symbolic. Um, you know, in the chorus they say, "Sacred is the gift that they have without knowing. Serenity is knowing it's safe from destruction of time." And you could almost like look at that as a reflection of the legacy of death that you know. Uh, in a way, he was at peace with whatever he had done in the past and was, I think, ready to move on. I mean, obviously, I think you guys will go into how Sound of Perseverance wasn't really even intended uh, as a as a follow-up to Symbolic. Like, he was comfortable with the legacy of death with Symbolic at that point. Um, you know, he also says in Sacred Serenity, maybe we could take a step back and discover what leads us to attack. Time that is short, distance unknown. For them, each day life has just begun. Absorbing, observing spirits on the wall. What are they telling you? You know, crazy stuff like that. Like that was not what you heard in uh, American death metal CDs. And then, of course, I think the one that jumped out to me the most from Symbolic, right when I would kind of walk around and ponder, is Symbolic itself. The the you know the title track. And, you know, he, he says things like, uh, I don't mean to dwell, but I can't help myself when I feel the vibe and taste a memory of a time in life when years seem to stand still. I mean, he's already reflecting and the guy, when he's doing this record, he's just, I think in his late twenties, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I don't, I should have the information in front of me. I apologize. I don't, I close my eyes and I sink within myself. I relive the gift of precious memories in need of a fix called innocence. When did it begin? The change to come was undetectable. The open wounds exposed, exposed the importance of our innocence, a high that can never be bought or sold. You know, and then he goes on, you know, symbolic acts. Um, he later in the song says, savor what you feel and what you see, things that may not seem important now, but maybe tomorrow. And when you take them out of the context of the immaculate music that's going there, there's there's a lot of uh, melancholy, reflectiveness, and you didn't get that from many metal people in extreme metal in their late 20s. It's not what you would sort of expect from them, you know. Um, and so, you know, a, a couple others before I, I leave you, um, you know, was stuff like uh, On Sound of Perseverance, you know, and On Sound of Perseverance, there's a lot of reflective sort of stuff that's happening there. Um, I mean, even the, the, the instrumental is, is beautiful. And when I, you know, I find myself listening to that and thinking about what Chuck was about to go through and, um, you know, that can kind of take an emotional sort of hold over you, but things like a moment of clarity, um, you know, look to beyond what vision lets me see time after time, unneeded misery, holding tight to my dream. I own no price for you. I grip them tight and hope for sight. I open my eyes wide to see a moment of clarity. And it's almost like he himself was searching for that uh, with these last couple death records that we get. And uh, I think the one that I'll sort of end with um, and, and put you guys out of your misery with this long message is Story to Tell. And uh, for me, it's my favorite song on Sound of Perseverance. Uh, it's always a toss up sometimes with flesh and the power it holds. But I think Story to Tell because of that that incredible solo that just is the most triumphant thing I think they, they ever did. Um, 
you know, drifting into the lives, seep into the soul where emotions hide. Dark skies were beating me down with shadows of deceit slashing at trust till it forever bleeds with doubt, with pain, with trust is pain. When you think of me in your multidimensional mind, try and wash the evil from your mind and open it. When you taste the truth, you will see like others before me that I am past a story to tell. You may think you own the end. Take another close look at the script of sadness etched in a book. And I think in some ways he was trying to repent maybe for the perceptions that people had of him. And I will say this, when I met Chuck, he was nothing but gracious. He was an incredible, incredible human being. And, um, you know, then that last statement, you may think you own the end. Take another look close at the script of sadness etched in the book. And I think in a lot of ways, prophetically, you know, Chuck's kind of giving the, you know, um, take every moment in your life and appreciate it because you don't know how what what's being written and right around the corner was what was obviously he was about to go through and uh outside of control denied that's really the the last statement we sort of get from him musically and it's it's right there in the songs and so again i come back to the idea that for death it's all about the songs so thank you for having me sorry for the long message um i hope this uh I hope this helps make your episode even better and I can't wait to listen to it. And again, uh, I couldn't be prouder of you guys for flying the, the generational torch with uh, another amazing metal podcast out there in, um, in the world. All right. Take care, guys. Uh, Requiem Metal Podcast. Jason out. Jason out.